0: souls are baked up yonder, I'll be there. Just a little play on words on that song. Kind of like that old song, Standing on the Promises. What we need in the church is a lot more people that stand on the promises instead of so many that just sit on the premises. But that's for another lesson another day. In our text this morning, we have a picture of a man who is devoted to God. A man devoted to God who's telling us about his experiences. And to be sure, his experience is an experience that's worth listening to and it's an experience that's worth hearing about. Because he was a man who had a good yesterday. He's a man with a noble present. And he's a man who's looking out expectantly on great tomorrows. And in this statement, he's accounting for all that has been, all that he is, and all that he hopes to be. And what he tells us is that he is frankly a follower of God. And he tells us all that he is and all that he ever hopes to be, he owes to that fact. And in our text, he simply says, But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Understand this, Caleb is not a man who is swollen with conceit. And Caleb is not boasting and he's not bragging, he's simply testifying. There's no swagger or pomposity in his actions or what he says. You see, a man's not conceited because he tells the truth about himself. In fact, if Caleb is boasting in his testimony, if Caleb is boasting in what he says, he's not boasting in himself. He's not boasting in Caleb. He's boasting in the Lord. And you know what? When you read that, when he says, But I wholly follow the Lord my God, we rejoice in that testimony. We rejoice in the quiet confidence as you read the story in Joshua chapter 14. We rejoice in the quiet confidence with which Caleb tells his story. Because you see what Caleb says is not creating any great surprise among his listeners. What he has to say is not shocking. It's not scandalizing to anyone that knows Caleb and knows what Caleb is all about. Because Caleb's life has completely been an open book. It's a living epistle. It's something that's been known to everyone far and wide. He makes the declaration that he is a follower of God. And he's simply stating a truth that those who know him best can attest to. But I want you to notice something else. There's a note of joy. There's a note of gladness in that testimony. There is actually solid joy and great satisfaction in what Caleb has to say. Because Caleb is not wringing his hands in regret over wasted years. Caleb is instead rejoicing in his Yesterdays. Let me read that whole eighth verse. Nevertheless My brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb's not looking back with regret over a life of loyal service to God. No one ever has. There have been those who have come to the end of the journey. They've seen the pale horse and his rider about to cross their threshold and they've got regrets. They've regretted the fact that they made money and fame and fortune their goal and their God. But there's no regret in the testimony of Caleb. But I want you to notice something else about him. Caleb just didn't say, but I was a follower of God. Caleb was more than just a follower. Caleb uses a word to describe his devotion to God that most of us would not dare to use. What did he say? He says, I wholly followed the Lord my God. I gave God my undivided allegiance. I gave God my undivided... Devotion. I served God with every fiber of my being. I didn't straddle the fence. I was not lukewarm. I gave God the loyalty, the devotion of my whole soul. I placed God first in my life. He said, I wholly followed the Lord my God. Now let's don't misunderstand this. The fact that Caleb wholly followed the Lord does not mean Caleb was a perfect man. Far from it. It doesn't mean that Caleb was without fault. It doesn't mean that he never blundered or that he never made a mistake. He wasn't a man that was absolutely perfect. If a man or a woman is wholehearted in their devotion to their business, that doesn't indicate they're a perfect businessman or a perfect businesswoman. It doesn't mean they never do anything except attend to business. It does mean that they put their business first. When business and pleasure clash, pleasure is pushed aside. If pleasure is enjoyed, it does not become an end in of itself. It's a recreation. Its ultimate purpose is to help better transact business. So you see, in this way, Caleb was wholehearted in his devotion to God. Because in everything, Caleb put God first. And that wholeheartedness, that accounts for the great success that Caleb made of life. It's a lack of this wholeheartedness on the part of so many people that explains the great weakness of the church today all over the length and breadth of this great nation of ours. We're religious. We're Christians after a fashion. But, beloved, too few of us Are wholehearted. My friends, write this down. It's on the final exam. It's the wholehearted man, it's the wholehearted woman who wins. It's that man or that woman who wholly follows the Lord the way Caleb did. Go back a little further in the Old Testament. And let's take a couple of men. A man by the name of Abraham and a man by the name of Lot, for example. Abraham and Lot were both religious men. They were both altar builders. They would have been leaders in the local church. Abraham because of his great faith. Lot because he was related to Abraham. But while they were both religious... In the final analysis, the life of Abraham and Lot were as far apart as night is from day. And the difference was not that Abraham believed while Lot did not believe. And the difference was not that one was interested in spiritual matters and the other was indifferent towards spiritual matters. The difference was Abraham's faith. was the biggest fact about him. Every question of Abraham's life was determined by what is the will of God. On the other hand, Lot's religion never mastered him. God never fully took Lot's heart captive. So when a conflict came up between Lot's religion and the world, Lot's religion was the loser. When there was a clash between the will of God and the will of Lot, it was the will of Lot that won out. So, Abraham represents to us all that is beautiful and lovely in sainthood, while Lot glares at us across the centuries a charred and blackened ruin of a man. You see, while Abraham, like Caleb, Holy followed the Lord. Lot wanted to have his own way. How did it turn out for Caleb? How did it turn out for Caleb to wholly follow the Lord? God made Caleb a man of great faith. It was through faith that Caleb came to know God. It was in loyalty to God that Caleb found a larger and an ever-growing faith. The weakness of our faith, my faith, your faith, the weakness of our faith does not come from intellectual difficulties. The weakness of our faith comes as a result of moral lapses. You see, that man or that woman who fails to obey the voice of God will find that voice gradually hushed into silence. That man or that woman who fails to follow the gleam of light provided by God will find that light someday become darkened. It's in wholehearted devotion and service to God that we find a deeper, greater, larger faith the very first time we come in contact with Caleb in the scriptures he impresses us with the greatness of his faith do you remember the story he's gone out with 11 other spies to check out the promised land and he's just returned from the land of Canaan with those other spies But as those twelve spies come back from the land of Canaan, there's not a unanimous agreement among them. They're not of one mind. There's a majority report and there's a minority report. Now both groups agreed that the land was worth possessing. It's a beautiful land. They said it's a land that flows with milk and with honey. But the majority of ten declares, we just can't do this. The difficulties are so great. There are giants in this land. and any effort to go and possess this land, it's absolute madness. It's sheer futility. And that's when Caleb steps to the forefront. And he begs for the people to listen to him. And with great difficulty, he compels their attention and compels them to hear him. And he speaks with conviction. And because of the conviction that he speaks with, he steals the people. He tells them, I'm just as aware of the difficulties of possessing this land as the majority are. But Caleb is certain That through the power of God, those difficulties can be vanquished and overcome. And he wants to go up at once and possess the land. And through the power of God, Caleb declares, those giants in the land, those giants, they're going to be bred for us. He says, God has given us the land. Victory is certain. All we've got to do is go up and claim what God has given us. Caleb, Like any other man and woman who possesses a victorious faith is an absolute asset. While the doubters discuss problems and while the doubters whine about impossibilities, people of faith claim victory. And while the doubters and the naysayers look at the difficulties and see certain absolute failure people of faith look to God and become strong and have a sense of certain absolute victory. Caleb was a man of courage. And courage was the natural outgrowth of his faith. The greatest courage you'll ever find always has a very special Secret. Are you listening? It's in Psalm sixteen and verse eight, and here's the secret. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Think about Caleb. It took courage for him to go against the majority. It's the courage of a deep faith in God that says, let's go up at once and let's possess the land. To take that stand meant that he not only faced the naysayers, he not only faced the ridicule of the majority, it also meant for Caleb positive physical danger. Because the majority was rapidly turning into a frenzied mob, they were threatening to stone him because... He made this mad proposal he was making to go up and possess the land. But because of his courage. A courage that was born of a faith in God. Caleb dared to brave the ridicule. He braved the threats of his own people. And the strength of his enemy. But guess what? The overwhelming majority rejected Caleb's proposal. And so Caleb threw a tantrum. He went to the corner. He pouted like a sullen child. No, he didn't. In Caleb we see manifested a beautiful Christ-like spirit. In Caleb we see a beautiful picture of Christ-like patience. Caleb was absolutely sure he was right. He was equally sure that the position of the majority was wrong. But he showed no anger. He showed no resentment when he was outvoted. He didn't withdraw and refuse to have anything else to do with this faithless and cowardly crowd he was among because he still believed that even with all of their faults, they were the hope of the world. Put yourself in Caleb's shoes. Imagine how disappointed, how dismayed, how heavy of heart this man of faith was when he had to turn his face from the land of his dreams and go back to the wilderness. And spend 40 years there. But he never whined. He never looked at the others and said, I told you so. With Christ-like patience he worked. And he waited. And he was a man that never grew old. We meet Caleb again after that incident. Almost 50 years after that tragic failure at Kadesh Barnea. He's an octogenarian now. He's 85 years old. But he's still a man who's young at heart. Winter has visited him every year, but Caleb was always so busy entertaining spring, he never noticed winter. Caleb possessed the secret of perpetual youth. And that was his faith in God. And over the years, Caleb became a Great blessing to those around him. The day finally came, he left the lands he'd conquered as an inheritance to those who came after him. But Caleb left them something infinitely more valuable than lands or silver or gold. He left them a legacy, a legacy that made them rich beyond measure. He left them the rich legacy of a life grandly lived in unswerving loyalty to God. That is always true of those who, like Caleb, wholly follow the Lord. I'm so thankful today that I have that kind of memory of those who've gone on before me I can assure you of one thing when my father and my grandfathers left this world there weren't any big fat bank accounts for any of us to fight over there weren't any great land holdings or flowing oil wells or great stock portfolios either we did have a few bills to pay off though But Richard and Merle and J.R. left me something far more valuable than stocks and bonds and lands and cattle. They left me a legacy. A legacy of men who wholly followed the Lord. They set that example and they also made me live it. Dad was, in addition to preaching, Dad was one of those, the proper term is bivocational preacher, but Dad always said he worked for an honest living and preached on the side. But Dad was also part of the management team at the local discount store, Gibson Discount Center. And I got a job there, cleaning toilets and scrubbing floors. And every Saturday night at 10 o'clock when that store closed, they'd lock the doors. And everybody was gone but me and three other guys that I was in charge of. And from 10 o'clock Saturday night, till Daddy came and let us out at 8 o'clock Sunday morning, I spent 10 hours on the business end of a floor buffing machine. Just like that. But at 8 o'clock, Daddy came and let me out. And I went home and I took a bath and ate breakfast and I went to bed and slept. (laughs) No, I didn't. I got home just in time to take a bath, eat breakfast, change clothes, and go to church. One Sunday morning I said, Daddy, I'm not gonna go today. He said, Yes, you are. I said, Daddy, I worked all night. He said, So? I said, Well, Daddy, there are men that work graveyard shift and they work swing shift, they do shift work and they don't have to go to church on they don't go to church on Sunday morning, they sleep, then they go that night. He said, Yep, that's right. He said, They have to put food on the table for their families. They have to put a make a house payment to put a roof over their family's head. Your mother and I are putting a roof over your head. Your mother and I are covering your nakedness with clothes. And your mother and I are providing you food. You work all night on Saturday night because you won't pocket money. You're going to church. Now get dressed. And you know what I said to him, Leon? I said, yes, sir. That was the legacy that was left to me. They left me an example of faith. An example of prayer. An example of devotion to God. To be sure, there is no finer legacy that any of us can leave to our family, to our friends, to those who know us, than the legacy that Caleb left. When the time comes that breath leaves my body, I hope that with my dying breath I will be able to say, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. What kind of legacy are you leaving this morning? Is Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life. You've heard me say this at least a thousand times. This will make a thousand and one. If Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life this morning, Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master at all in your life. That's more than just a catchy phrase that I use a lot. It's a fact. Is He Lord of your life? Have you ever made Him Lord of your life? If you haven't, in simple trusting faith, confessing His name, repenting of sin, being buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of those sins, say, Lord, I want to be Your servant. I want to wholly follow You. Maybe you've done that. But Jesus hasn't been the Lord of your life. And you need to make changes. Can we help you make those changes? I don't know what the need of your life is this morning, but if there are needs in your life we can help you with, this is your opportunity to come and let us do that as together we stand and while we sing.